last thing I'm super excited about for 2024 is um, Wendy and I were talking and we, we want to give you access to some of the people who have been really influential in our personal and ministry journeys. Um, some people we've walked with for years. Some people have been there at key moments to kind of encourage us, cheer us on, and believe in us. And um, so we're going to get to introduce you to some of those people throughout the year. You're going to get to receive from their ministry. One of them is with us this morning. Uh, many of you know him. He is a longtime friend of Longpoak Foursquare Church. Uh, he was here for the last time to install Pastor Wendy and me as our as the lead pastors here for this part of our journey together, and, and he's going to bring the word. So would you welcome with me Pastor Billy Calderwood as he comes to minister this morning? Man, it is good to be with you all. Um, it's good to be in this part of the world, which is home for me. Um, and good to be with Pastors John and Wendy and your leadership team. Um, yeah, I'm overjoyed to be here. Does it, does it look like it? Like, wow, that's what overjoyed is like. Somebody get this, get this man a cup of coffee. Uh, I want to uh, just give you, a, for those of you that don't know anything about me, um, I am a longtime friend. Actually, Pastor Bernie Fetterman offered me my first job in ministry. Um, when I was an intern at another church uh, over in Santa Maria, and I turned him down to stay in Santa Maria and marry a beautiful woman. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. Uh, but I'm so grateful for the folks at, at Lompoc Foursquare that have always believed and encouraged me. And this has been a, my mom attended this church for, for a number of years. Um, and it's been such a joy to be, I'm a huge fan of Pastors John and Wendy and what God is doing in the city of Lompoc through your church in this present time. Speaking of my lovely wife, I think I have a photo of my family. Um, uh, guess who runs the house? Yeah, if you guessed the small, white, fluffy one, you would be correct. That is Nilla, short for vanilla. My wife, her entire life has had pets named after food. And so she has this kind of little caramel color on her back, so that's vanilla. My wife, Kristen, and I, we've been married for 27 years. Our oldest is Jeremiah, holding the dog. Uh, he's a drummer and a music producer. And uh, next to him is Emma. I put her on a plane to send her back home to Germany yesterday. Uh, so when I saw John, he asked, how you doing? I teared up a little bit. I said, my last stop before here was LA. And I'm sad. Um, I'm very, very proud of her. She's off on her life adventure. She'll be back in another few months. Our other daughter is Bella. Uh, she does some acting and is going to school. Anyway, that's my crew, my tribe. Um, I also am uh, so happy to be serving and representing the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. My role has changed since the last time I was here. I now work on a national team uh, supporting cause projects. So particularly I'm working with church planting. Did you know in the Foursquare Church right now, we have 96 new church plants in the pipeline. Um, I happen to be coaching a massive cohort of Russian-speaking church planters. Um, there's been an increased immigration since the war in Ukraine. Um, and there are, God is sending us some like really phenomenal leaders from all over the world to pastor um, in the United States. So I'm super excited about that. Um, currently in the Foursquare Church, which you are a part of, this church is one of our strong flag. You guys are a flagship church in the Foursquare movement. Um, yeah, come on. How about a woohoo? Yes. Um, and I will say this, you guys have 
traditionally and historically been a huge supporter of ministry, not just in the city of Lompoc that's changing people's lives here, but that's changing people's lives around the world. And as a representative of Foursquare, I'm here today to say thank you and to celebrate with you. Last year, we have an arm of our movement called Foursquare Disaster Relief. I believe we responded to over 420 national and global emergencies. Because the way Foursquare does national and global emergencies, if there's some kind of a national tragedy or natural tragedy or something going on in a, in a community, we mobilize our resources to go stand with the church that's already there. How I many know if there was a disaster in Lompoc, the Foursquare church would mobilize to support you? Because we know you already have relationships here. You already know this community. You got firefighters and police and doctors, and you got people that are connected, know exactly where the needs are. So when bombs began falling in Ukraine, and the war in Ukraine started, we didn't wring our hands as a movement and say, how can we help? We called our 38 churches that are already in Ukraine for drug rehabilitation centers and like seven or eight orphanages, and we said, how can we support? Foursquare is there. We're not trying to get there. Foursquare's there now. And so because you support and you're giving and your partnership automatically supports all of that. Just you being here, being a part of this church, being faithful with your giving. For those of you that do that, that are part of this family, you are strengthening our arm to be the hands and feet of Jesus all around the world. And I just want to say thank you. It's a big deal what you guys do. Our current uh, focus right now under our current president really echoes the key thing that Jesus said when he saw that people were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. We need more people doing the work of God in the world. Amen? That's what Jesus identified as the number one need because we don't have a building problem. We don't have a budget problem. We have a labor shortage. We need people to just say yes to Jesus and get out there in their everyday lives and do the stuff like your pastor was talking about earlier. So the, the theme for Foursquare under our current president, Randy Remington, great leader I'm so privileged to serve with, is more and growing leaders together on mission. We want more people. We want people that are growing to be more like Jesus, growing in their skill set. And we want to focus on how God would have us grow. And there's a great website. If you're interested in more of what the Foursquare Church is doing around the world, or you feel a tug or a call, we train and support chaplains in the marketplace and in the military. Uh, we have all of these cause networks. If you're interested in foster care and you're interested in human trafficking, you're interested in campus ministries, there's all these amazing ways for you to take the interests you have, network with some other people, and increase your impact right here in your local community. Our goal is to serve your pastors and your church as you mobilize to meet the needs of people all around the world. Amen? And I'm so glad I get to do it. And one of my favorite parts of my job is I just get to be in Foursquare churches. Um, and one of my favorite, favorite, favorite parts of my job is I get to be here in Lompoc with pastors John and Wendy and my tribe, my family. Uh, my mom and dad uh, both met and married in Santa Maria. My grandfather worked at Vandenberg Air Force Base for a long, long time. I've lived in this area off and on uh, huge sections of my life. So it always feels like home when I'm with y'all. And it's really good to be here. I want to bring the word this morning. And hopefully really encourage your hearts on the beginning of a new year. Anybody like New Year's resolutions? Me neither. I hate them. As I came, somebody asked me that. I'm like, what's your New Year's resolution? I go, I want to do less stuff, generally. I want less stuff in my life. I'm an old man. I want naps. I want to pet my dog. I want to take naps. 
I want to drink good coffee. Is that, does that count? Somebody's like, well, I was thinking more like, you know, fitness. I'm like, heck with fitness. <laughs> fitness? What are you talking about? Like, if I walk the dog around the block, I'm like, killing it. You know what I mean? That's like my, that's my thing. But, but how many know it does naturally when we come into a new year, we start to reflect on what do I want less of, what do I want more of? So I want to preach a message that kind of fits in that general theme. What do we want to really invest ourselves in as we come into the new year? But it's probably not a traditional type of message for that. As a matter of fact, I want to share a text that's most commonly preached about during Christmas time. Um, and it's about a character uh, named Simeon who is um, often overlooked um, in the biblical story because he's not a part of most nativity scenes. You ever have nativity scenes? You know my, can I just pet peeve for a minute? Least favorite Christmas decorations ever are the ones that blow up. Right? I mean, they're just enormous. And then I live in a really windy neighborhood. So I'm like, there goes Snoopy. There goes Santa. Oh, Mickey Mouse is now bye-bye. Anyway, uh, but a lot of people have in their homes or, you know, in their Christmas decorations or maybe out on their lawn, like a traditional nativity scene that shows the birth of Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds and the angels and all that. And so we have a little nativity set as a part of our Christmas decorations. And, um, and one year, my son, who collects Star Wars action figures decided he was going to try something, and every week he was going to add a character that didn't belong to the nativity. And our nativity set is about the same size as a Star Wars action figure. So he got like four or five characters deep before I finally noticed. Because one day I was walking by, and there's Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and a shepherd and, and Yoda. <laughs> I think part of the reason it took me so long to notice was that shepherds and Jedi have remarkably similar wardrobes. Like, the only difference between, between like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jeff the Shepherd is one has a staff and one has a lightsaber. It's, it's really, like, the only difference. And then I'm like, I'm like, is that Chewbacca chilling with the camels? It was just hilarious. So now it's a thing. And now, like, every year he starts to add little figures, and now I know it's happening. And, but he still makes me laugh every time. The character that I'm going to talk to you about today, I've never seen. And a nativity set. Because he shows up in the Christmas story, but he shows up the day that Mary and Joseph go to dedicate Jesus at the temple. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, 22 through 35 today. And as we think about a new year and where we want to invest our lives, I think we can draw some encouragement, some revitalization for our souls, a sense of hope and perspective, and I believe even comfort from the story of Simeon. Can I pray with us as we begin? Jesus, you are so good. And we're told that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is available to us. So the sword is the word, but the person holding the sword is the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to preach today, and I may do well, and I may do not so well, and that doesn't really matter because your word is powerful and active and alive. And we never put our trust or hope in a preacher. We put our trust and hope in the living word of God wielded by the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just do everything I can do to yield myself to you today to preach. But, Holy Spirit, you are a ninja. And you can give people what they need to hear today. Even if I don't say it, you can say it directly to their heart. Even if I don't read it from the text, you can remind them, Holy Spirit, of the thing that you want them to know. So I pray everybody in the sound of my voice right now would be so blessed in these next few moments because they would hear directly from God everything they need to hear from God. Amen. Anybody glad the Holy Spirit's so good? 
One of my favorite things to do as a preacher is preach-ish and have people afterwards say, Pastor, when you said this, it totally changed my life. And I'm like, I am 100% certain I never said that. But God is so good, you guys. Um, God is good enough to give us everything that we need, and he'll do that for us today. I want to talk a little bit about investing our lives in what matters most. Luke 2.22 through 35 says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Essentially, Mary and Joseph are doing what we often do in our churches now as a baby dedication, but this was required of the law of Moses for the people of God to bring their child and present them before God as, a, as an act of worship. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Everybody say, he was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, he's saying, I have fulfilled my purpose. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. God had a purpose for Simeon. Coming into this new year, God has a purpose for you and he has a purpose for me. Simeon is unique because he has been waiting for the consolation of Israel for a long time. He is an old man at this point. People assume Simeon was probably in his 80s and had been waiting his whole life for this promise that God gave him. You're not going to die before you see the Messiah enter the world. The King of kings and Lord of lords, born into human lineage. You are going to see it with your own eyes. And Simeon had been waiting, and he'd not been waiting for a year. He'd been waiting for a lifetime. And he goes into the temple, and he meets the Lord as an infant, and speaks a prophetic word to Mary and to Joseph. Everybody say, God has a purpose for me. God's got a purpose for you. If you are 9 years old or 19 years old or 99 years old, how we know that you're still here because God has purpose for you? And I want to say this. For some of you that have like, feel like there's a lot, of, a lot of your life is actually in the rear view, let me say this, that like Simeon, the greatest purpose of God for your life is likely in your future. The most significant encounters you're ever going to have with others are likely in your future. If God still has you here, it's because he has something for you to do. He has purpose for your life. And right now, in the midst of all the other busyness, all the other things on your to-do list, all the other pressures on your life, all the things that you woke up worried about when your eyes opened this morning, all the things that stress you out, all the things that you're praying about and considering in your life, in the midst of all of that, God says, I know what I've purposed for you. 
I know you got a lot of things that stress you out. I know you got a lot of things that you're worried about. I know you got a lot of things you're thinking about. But you just need to know this morning in the midst of all of that, God says, I still have you here for a very specific purpose. Everybody say it, I have a purpose. God's got a purpose for you. Uh, The other thing that's important to note from this text is that sometimes God's purpose for our lives will involve a lot of waiting. And waiting is not my favorite thing. Anybody just love waiting? Yeah, I, uh uh-huh. No, yes, I am in agreement with you. And it says that the purpose of Simeon's waiting was, was specific. It says he'd been waiting for a long time, and he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. So in other words, God had made promises to his people, Israel, that there's going to be a king that comes from you that makes everything right in the world. But what's been happening in Israel is that it's been a long time that they've been now under Roman occupation. It's been brutal. I spent some time in Europe this summer, and I, I spent some time in countries um, that had been overrun uh, by Nazi Germany and by the Third Reich in the Second World War. And a lot of these places, like one place I was, it was Norway. They have an entire war resistance museum. What was it like to live in Norway during the rule of the Third Reich? And it was tough, and it was brutal. As we all know the history, I don't need to talk about that. But this is that kind of season of time in Israel's life where they're under brutal military occupation by the Romans and Simeon has been waiting because he knows the promise of God is that it will not always be this way, but it has been this way his whole life. God promised a deliverer that would raise the children of Israel out of Egypt. Anybody know that deliverer's name? Yeah, Moses. How long was Israel in Egypt? 430 years. What do you do if you're a person that's born in year 270? Your entire lifetime, your entire lifespan, and your great-grandfather's entire lifespan, and your great-grandchild's entire lifespan will all be lived in this season under slavery. But here's the thing that's amazing. The people of God continued to have faith in God and continued to raise the next generation that knew the promises of God. So when God finally decided to act, Moses' mom had already instilled in him this deep sense of faith. She knew the stories of God. So when Pharaoh said, drown your babies, because I'm getting too scared of, of, of slave revolt that will overthrow my government. So drown the babies. And so Pharaoh's mom, Yochava, says, when is the time, God, that you saved your people from drowning? And she knew the stories of Israel's God, probably illiterate, probably not able to read, but she knew the stories of Israel's God. And she said, you know, there was a time that there was a flood coming, and God said, build an ark. And God, I can't save everybody, but maybe I can build an ark just for my one baby. Think of the act of faith that that took. She builds one little ark out of reeds and tar and says, God, you did it before. You saved your people using an ark before. Would you you honor my faith and you do it once again? And God takes her act of faith. Moses is then raised by his mom but adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and becomes the deliverer of Egypt. What would have happened had Yochava not had that faith in Israel's God? Now, as a young man, I used to always say, God, I want to be a part of the next global worldwide revival where thousands of people are coming to Christ and we solve all of these issues of poverty and hunger in the world. And I'm a lot older now, and there's still a lot of issues of poverty and hunger in the world. And it's not been the global move of God that I've always hoped for. But I've begun to realize that like Simeon, 
maybe one of the things that I need to do is just be faithful in the time that I actually am in. And maybe what I need to do is disciple my children who will disciple some people, who will disciple some other people, who will disciple some other young men and women, who will disciple some people that will lead the next great move of God. We get really consumed with what God's going to do in the span of our lifetime, and we forget how much God will do with our faithfulness in two, three, four hundred years. Because we want the story to be about us. Wait, like, I'm like, am I, I'm not the main character? That's very confusing for some of us sometimes. Wait, I thought I was the main character in this story. And the Lord is like, no, friend, you are supporting cast. Well, at least make me someone cool. Like if life were the Lord of the Rings, I just always wanted to be Aragorn. Especially when he flips his hair and swings his sword. I'm like, that is so cool. Right? And then, and then I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not. And like, well, at least let me be one of the main hobbits. You know what I mean? I'm either the one that takes the ring to Mordor, or I'm the cool sidekick Sam, because he's really the soul of the story. And finally, the longer I live, the more I'm identifying with Gandalf, the old man with the beard who's really absent-minded, doesn't know where ha- he is half the time, shows up unreliably, but when he does show up, he's generally encouraging. I'm like, oh, shoot, maybe I'm Gandalf. I'm like the absent-minded old man. And every year that goes by, I'm like, I think I'm a little more Gandalf. All right. So, Lord, who are the important people in this story? How do I find them? Encourage them, right? The bottom line is I'm supporting cast. You're supporting cast. The main character is Jesus. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But we get to play a role in the most amazing story that's ever been told. And Simeon was aware of that. It had been 430 years from the time God promised to deliver his people from Egypt until the time that it actually happened. Similar, it had been 400 years between Malachi, the last prophet to speak, in the Old Testament, and Simeon in this moment in the temple. Sometimes we wait for a long time. A second thing about acknowledging God's purpose in your life, one, it'll involve a lot of waiting. Two, is it will require you to be quickly moved by the Spirit. Any chess players in the room? Let me me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Man, if you played me, I would lose so fast. I, I play chess like I play Mario Kart. If I see something coming, I move. Like, that's it. But real chess players are like 30, 40, 50, like, moves down. Like, a chess master is like, they know. They're, they're moving a piece that's eventually going to win the game, and they're moving it away from the action. 15, 30 moves ahead, right? And what I love is I think of Simeon's life, and it says that the hand of the Lord was on him. And then at a strategic moment, it says, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple. I've watched a lot of chess players play chess. And what's interesting is I noticed that sometimes they'll just rest their hand on a piece. But they won't move that piece for 15, 20 more moves. And then when they do move that piece, they're moving it in the opposite direction of the action. Some of you have been moved by the Holy Spirit in ways that are confusing and disturbing to you. You're like, God, I thought I was supposed to be going in this way, and what I feel like I'm doing right now is the opposite of progress, and I'm hurt, and I'm angry, and I'm confused. You are not a chess master. The Lord is. God may be allowing you to walk through some things and seasons in your life. How many of God did that with Joseph? Man, he thought he was supposed to be a ruler, and I'm sure he thought his whole life would be up and to the right, and he gets all these dreams in his heart that he's supposed to be a ruler, and then all of a sudden he's a slave. And then he's a prisoner. But how many know in all those things, God's working out his purpose. 
Sometimes, guys, to have a purpose from God means to be content with moves we don't understand. (laughs) Sometimes to embrace the purpose of God, we have to be content with moves we don't understand. And sometimes moves that feel like they're backwards and feel like they're not progress. But I love what it says that the hand of the Lord was on him. Do you check in with the hand of the Lord in your life every day? Lord, I just want to acknowledge your presence in my life. You're reading the New Testament together as a church, picking up that one chapter every day. Lord, I'm just acknowledging your presence in your life. I'm just letting your word be heard new in my heart today. Lord, is there anything you want me to do? And I feel like sometimes the Lord, I'll say, Lord, is there some big thing you want me to do today? And I feel like the Lord just says, I just want you to acknowledge my hand in your life. I just want you to acknowledge my presence. I just want you to keep checking in with me. But when the time comes to move, can you be quickly moved? And this was true of Simeon. He had a deep sense of the hand of God on his life, but when God said, it's time to go to the temple, he was quickly moved by the Spirit. Are you quickly able to follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit? Uh, some of you know where the town of Atascadero is. Um, I had everything going for me as a young pastor, up and coming in ministry. I was an intern at this massive church. They asked me to stay the next year and run the entire program. And through no fault of my own, and a series of events that are way too desperate and prolonged for me to describe to you, I ended up instead spending the next three years in the lovely town of Atascadero, living in the middle of nowhere, working a construction job that I hated. Atascadero means mud hole. Have you ever been there? Like, yep. I hear it's nicer now. I, I don't go back unless I absolutely have to. It's not, a, it's not a season in my life I'm looking to revisit, right? But I lived there for a while, and I remember that time being so angry with the Lord that I knew what my trajectory was of being a person mightily used by God. It was going to be up and to the right and running a small roofing business and living in the middle of nowhere and helping my parents build a house was not the life I wanted for myself, but it was, I was just constrained to it. And I remember crying out to the Lord one day and I said, Lord, I feel like a square peg in a round hole. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you are. Because I don't want you to be a square peg, but I don't want you to be a round peg either. And I had this vision of a big hammer pounding a square peg through a round hole so that the corners came off and the peg ended up being like an octagonal peg. And I felt like the Lord said, me taking you through all these undesirable moves right now in your life is the fastest way for me to shape you for your future and for your destiny. Stop arguing with me all the time. Embrace the season that you're in. Embrace the moves that you don't understand because I'm at work in all of it. Some of you, that's the one word you needed to hear. That's why you came to church today. Because you need to know that the season that you're in, while it feels like punishment, it's preparation. The season that you're in, it feels like going backwards, you're actually being accelerated. You right now are in a painful situation, and God's like, no, no, you're time traveling. I'm sending you ahead. I'm getting you prepared right now, but I'm getting you prepared in a way that other people don't see, other people don't recognize, but I'm working deeply in your life. 
How many know that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you have to live with you? And the day after that, and the day after that even, right? Sometimes what God is doing is he's working on our character. I want God to work on outcomes. I want God to work on income. I want God to work on influence. I want God to work on job and position and all these other kinds of things. And sometimes God's like, yeah, I know you have to live with you. So I'm going to make that better for you tomorrow by working on you today. How many know it's not wasted time when God is simply developing our character? We're really outcome focused, but we forget that some of the outcomes that God is looking for is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. It's not just what we produce with our hands, but who we become in our heads and in our hearts that deeply matters to God. So if you're in a season where there's no prominence, but you're being shaped deeply in your character, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord, friends. Embrace it, because it will be required for where you're going. And if you embrace it, you'll wake up tomorrow, look in the mirror and say, boy, I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And that'll be a blessing for you. And if you're married, a blessing for them. And if you have a family, a blessing for them. God loves the world too much to leave you the way you are. I'm going to say that one more time. God loves the world too much to leave you the way you are today. And sometimes the way he shapes our character is through things that are really uncomfortable. And Simeon's life involves that. But Simeon also was quickly able to not just let the Lord shape him in the quiet place, but he's able to move quickly. Have you ever followed a prompt from the Holy Spirit before? I remember one time I was in a Starbucks coffee. I hadn't had my coffee yet. Um, I know I just got done talking about character development and the fruit of the Spirit, but I don't know what it is about that first cup of coffee sometimes helps my character. I don't know. That's, I have no biblical support for that whatsoever. It's just a, more of an observation. Uh, but there was a guy, the line was long, and I was in a hurry, and I had some place to be, and I'm fighting God, and I'm like, God, why don't you like, help me get through this line quicker? After all, I am incredibly important, doing incredibly important Jesus-y things in the world, so I shouldn't have to wait in this long line. And I felt the Holy Spirit, you know, as the Holy Spirit is prone to do, just be like, Relax. I have something for you. Here, pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to the people around you. And I just decided rather than be angry and frustrated and fume and have a bad attitude and grind my teeth or whatever it is that you do when you're frustrated, I decided to say, well, Lord, what are you doing right now? And I just checked in and said, Holy Spirit, I want to acknowledge your presence on my life today. I just want to acknowledge your hand. I'm here. Do you know delays are a great time for prayer? Traffic is a great time for prayer. Being on hold is a great time for prayer. God loves you so much, he fills your life with opportunities to check in with him. The wait time for this call is 27 minutes. And inside you go, ah! And the Holy Spirit is like, yeah. You get time with me now. Check in with me. Go back and think about that chapter in the New Testament you read and meditate on that a minute. God is so loving and kind. He provides us so many opportunities to hear his voice and to check in with his presence. But in that moment, in that Starbucks, I felt drawn by the Holy Spirit, prompted, nudged, pushed, directed to the young man behind me in line. And I made some kind of benign comment about the weather, and he went, <laughs> you know how we do. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, well, you need to inquire about this man's grandmother. 
And I'm like, that is really bold and really specific. And I am not caffeinated at all. And I'm slightly extroverted, but boy, the caffeine helps. And like the Holy Spirit just said, turn around and ask him. So here's how I opened the conversation. I said, hey, listen, um, this is going to sound weird. That gives permission for whatever comes next. (laughs) Hey, this is going to sound weird, but um, I pray a lot. And sometimes when I pray, I feel like God gives me a little nudge and, you know, wants me to, like, maybe encourage somebody or or ask somebody a question or whatever. And, um, And I feel like God, like, gave me something for you. Is it okay if I share that with you? This man was riveted. How many times has somebody said something like that to you in line at Starbucks? Like, I pray a lot, and I hear from God, and I think God wants me to talk to you. Like, even if what's coming next is insane and crazy, I'm still interested. You know what I mean? And he was very interested. And I said, hey, I just feel like um, I'm supposed to ask, like, about, about your grandma. I'm like, do you have a grandma? Like, I wasn't, I mean, you know, that's a bold thing to say. And he, like, teared up a little bit, and he said, my grandma just got admitted to the hospital last week, and I'm trying to find time off of work so that I can, like, go, go and visit her because I'm not sure that she's doing well. And I said, well, what's her name? My, my grandma's name is Susan. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, today, um, every, every moment I got a little break, I'm just going to be praying for your grandmother, Susan. Is that okay with you? yeah, that's okay with me. That was the end of our interaction, the end of our conversation. I didn't preach to him. I didn't give him a Bible. I didn't invite him to my church. But he has spent the entire rest of that week thinking about some guy who prays a lot, felt like God told him that, that, that God cares about my grandma. God cares about me and God cares about my grandma. How many know that's worth 100 sermons, just that interaction? Most people I know that follow and love Jesus, it's not because they got intellectually browbeaten into following Jesus. It's because they encountered the very real love of God through a normal human being that just followed a prompt and a nudge. The most powerful nudges and prompts, the most powerful times I've ever encountered God have not been even from pastors, have not been from people who went to Bible college. They've been from normal people who knew how to follow a nudge. My brother was going through a really hard time, and I was about to move out and leave, and I felt like I was abandoning him, and it was a tough time in my life. And I remember thinking that, God, I just, the biggest concern I have in my heart right now is for my little brother. And I came to church, Santa Maria Foursquare Church, actually, at that time, on a Wednesday night. I don't remember any of the songs we sang, who was leading worship. I don't remember who preached, because the whole time I sat about where you're sitting with the blue mask there in church, And the entire time, I just was grieving inside. And I knew they had a prayer afterwards. I knew they'd bring people up in the front and people pray. And I said, I just am here to pray for my little brother. And that was all I could think about through the whole service. And I walked up, and there's a little lady in horn-rimmed glasses with a chain. And I, to this day, I don't know her name. But as I walked up, she just knowingly, she followed a nudge from the Holy Spirit. She reached out, she grabbed my hand, she lifted my face, she looked dead in my eyes, and she said, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that he cares about your little brother. I was more wrecked in that moment with a sense of God's love for me than any other single thing that's maybe ever happened in my life because it was so extraordinarily specific. So people, that's the whole thing. I spent two hours on that, and all of a sudden this woman says, this is what God feels for you. All these people are like, well, I don't believe God exists. I'm like, 
Yeah, I can't get there with you. People have said, you know, hey, Billy, do you ever, like you're a pastor, but like please level with me. Please, please tell me that you sometimes have doubts that God exists. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. I mean, I would like to have a human moment with you to like say, yeah, sometimes I have doubts. I really do not. I've just seen God blow into my life in such specific ways. The presence of Jesus is as real to me as the air that I'm breathing because I've seen it again and again. I've got questions about the Bible. I don't know why some of that stuff is in there. You're like, the Bible's so weird. How can you believe in God? I'm like, the Bible is weird. And yes, I do believe in God. I haven't figured those things out all the way. But I don't doubt that the stories about Jesus are true and real because I've experienced God the way that people in the Bible experience God. How many know that you're going to be the reason someone else knows the Lord that way? Because you follow a nudge while you're stuck in line. And the whole time you're going to be like, God, I have important things to do today. Jesus stuff. And the Lord's going to be like, hello. You're about to change this young man's life behind you. Because he's going to know that I care about him. And he will know that unequivocally for the rest of his life. Because of a counter that's going to take you 15 to 20 seconds. How many times is the miracle about to happen and we're willing ourselves away from the situation. I don't want to be on hold. I don't want to be in traffic. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be talking to this person. I don't want to be in this job. I don't want to be in this marriage. I don't want my family to be my family. I don't like the situation I'm in right now. And God says, but this is the situation where the miracle's going to occur. And you are so busy grumbling and complaining about it, you're missing the miracle moment. Simeon follows the nudge, the prompt of the Holy Spirit. God's got a purpose for you. His purpose is going to involve a lot of waiting. His purpose is going to require you to be quickly moved by the Spirit. And sometimes his purpose will involve pain you didn't expect. I think we do people a disservice when we tell them their life is going to move from glory to glory to glory, but we don't tell them about walking with the good shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, the Bible talks about both. I went to a church one time where the, the more this skinny uh, white preacher would preach the more he sounded like he was from the south. And I knew this dude. He was born in Oregon. But he was always preaching about moving from glory to glory. And I'm like, wow, can you shake your cheeks anymore? This is amazing. And he would spit a lot. And so I learned to sit like in the fourth row. But it was always like his, this guy's basic theology was that if you walk with Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And I'm listening to him say that, and I'm looking at my Bible, and I'm like, boy, a lot of these people that walk with Jesus, really bad stuff happened to them. Like, as a matter of fact, it was worse for them because they were affiliated with Jesus. Right? They got directly persecuted. Sometimes many of them murdered. Why? Because of Jesus. So it's, we do people a disservice when we don't let them know that the story is going to require some opposition and some conflict. There will be some suffering. There will be some difficulty. And Simeon has been often used by the Lord, like my Starbucks encounter, to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple and to give a prophetic word. I'm sure Simeon did this many, many days of his life. But this day, he gives the most important prophetic word he will ever give in his life, and he gives it to a 16-year-old young mom who's holding an infant baby 
and her scared young husband that are going to raise the king of the universe, the savior of the world, Israel's Messiah, the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. And he says to them, he's going to be all these things. He's going to cause the rising and falling of many. He will be also, though, a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In other words, there's a lot of people that are going to hate your son. You need to know he is going to be the difference maker of all time, but not everybody's going to love it. You need to know, Mom, as you raise this baby, there's going to be a lot of hard days ahead. And I want you to be prepared, and God wants you to be prepared. Not only will be a sign that will be spoken against, but there will come a moment where a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary gets armed at a very young age, holding an eight-day-old infant in her arms. That God's purpose is ultimately going to be done through this infant Jesus, but also that before it's all said and done, she will feel a grief so horrible that it feels like a sword has pierced her soul. And you cannot convince me of this otherwise, but I am certain that Mary had these words in her heart when she watched her son be nailed to a cross, spat upon, beaten. Guys, I put my daughter on a plane to another country and I felt like my soul was ripped with grief. I'm like, I'm not going to see you for three months. Ah, can you imagine watching your child be brutally, publicly humiliated, spat upon, and murdered? And in that moment, Mary is probably saying, an angel came and told me about my child's destiny. All of these great things were spoken. I've watched my son Jesus open the eyes of the blind. I've, I've watched miracle after miracle. Mary was there for so much of Jesus' public ministry. She initiates it. She's like, they're out of wine, son. He's like, Mom. He's like, trust me, do what he says. We, Mary knew who he was. And it was at his mother's prompt that his miracle ministry actually begins. And now she's watching him bleed and die. But in that moment, I'm certain that she was like, even in this moment where it feels, a, I feel a grief that's unimaginable, a sword piercing and destroying my own soul. But even now, I'm remembering the words of Simeon that even though this would happen, God's will ultimately will still be done. And she could not have imagined the resurrection, but she saw Jesus resurrected. She was in the upper room when the spirit was poured out. How do you know that? It's amazing. And Simeon was used to give Mary this prophetic word that would sustain her through the darkest times. But sometimes, friends, when we follow the Lord, we end up walking through a grief that we didn't expect. Our general supervisor, Wendy Nolasco, um, who I think you're going to meet for too long, she's going to be uh, a church, wonderful leader, she gave me a prophetic word um, about three years ago. And she said, you know, Billy, I don't, I don't even want to say this to you, but I feel like the Lord's telling me that you're going to go through a season of grief, but God's going to be with you. And she said, and it's going to be a deep grief that's going to really surprise you. Shortly after that, my son began to slowly physically deteriorate. And he got to the point where he could hardly move. And he's a drummer. He's active. He's really fit. He runs. He lifts. Um, and he lost his vision completely in one eye and got to the point where he couldn't even move because of a physical condition that went undiagnosed for 18 months. And we saw every specialist. He saw probably 15 different neurologists. Finally, long into this journey, he got the correct diagnosis, and um, 
He had Lyme disease and a whole bunch of other related co-infections that slowly as they begin to treat him, they begin to get on top of it. And all the co-infections are gone now. And they also found out he had, from a previous oral surgery younger in his life, he had massive abscesses in his mouth where there was infection building up, which was causing him to have all this numbness in his face and his neck that would travel down to his arms. It's been a horribly long journey. But when you watch your kid go through something, but you know what was amazing is I was sustained, even in the middle of all that stuff, that God knew the grief was coming, but it wouldn't be the end of my son's story. And I want to say to you, if you've gone through a season of grief, God is with you. The grief that you've had to endure is a valley of the shadow of death, but God still holds the pen, and he's still writing your story, and this is not the end. Amen? And I also want to encourage young people, because if somebody's telling you, hey, just like love and follow Jesus and everything will be awesome all the time, they're lying to you. But if you love and follow Jesus, you'll be a part of the greatest story that is ever told, but you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But you will not walk there alone. You will walk there with the Lord. Amen? Lastly, I just want to encourage us to invest our lives in what matters most. We're told that Jesus will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. I want to break those two phrases down real quick and then close with one last thing. A light of revelation for the Gentiles. Basically, no society has ever lived that's not asked the question, is there a God? And if there is a God, what is God like? Jesus is God's answer to bring light to that dark conversation for all time. There is a God, and he's like Jesus. God doesn't just send us a book. He comes himself. I mean, know that God just is one to just give people a, a book, but he wants to come himself into people's lives. And so for young people that are a part of all these debates and kind of what's rapidly becoming a post-Christian society, there's a lot of questions about is there a God and what is God like? And that's especially fraught because people have seen abuses in church. And they're like, people just use religion to try to control people and their money. And you're like, yeah, I know that may have happened, but I mean, Jesus is not like that. You want to know who Jesus is. I mean, you want to know if there's a God and what he's like. You look at the four gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. The Lord sets straight for all time that A, there is a God, and B, he is like Jesus. And I am really glad that there is a God with all power, he's like Jesus. The Jesus that on the cross looks at those that were crucifying him and says, Father, forgive them. Man, I'm glad that the person that was able to forgive his crucifiers is the person that ultimately will judge my life. Because I made mistakes. I got a pretty good chance if God is like Jesus. If God is like other people's religious conceptions, I don't have as good a chance. Because I'm a dummy sometimes. Anybody? I am really glad that the mercy of Jesus that the person of Jesus is actually the judge that is finally in charge. Friends, that is good news of great joy for all people. Secondly, it says that he will be the glory of his people. What does that mean? This is what glory means. It means weight, significance, substance, honor, importance, high renown, magnificence, great beauty, grandeur, and nobility. Do you want those things in your life? At the end of your life, would you like your life to be described as a life of weight and substance, honor, significance, importance, magnificence, great beauty, grandeur, and nobility? Man, your rising and falling, a life of glory and weight and substance, is dependent entirely on one thing, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because at the end of all things, when all of the other kingdoms fade and the Lord's kingdom is the last thing left standing, the only thing that's going to matter in that moment, it won't matter how much money you made, how beautiful or handsome your spouse was, the only thing that's really going to matter, how much your family loved you, the only thing that's really going to matter is your relationship to Jesus. Your rising and your falling will be determined ultimately by your relationship with Jesus. Your glory and whether your life resonates through all eternity as a life of weight and substance and honor and renown will depend on whether you know Jesus. Spent a lot of time in Germany, met a lot of German people uh, last summer. You know what I never once heard anybody say? You know, granddad was a great Nazi. I met a lot of people whose granddads were Nazis, and there's nobody bragging about it. Why? Because of the morally repugnant horror that was released on the world by the Third Reich. On the other hand, my grandfather... I have a grandfather that was an American GI and another grandfather who was in the Navy for 20 years, won the Distinguished Flying Cross for Distinguished Service in uh, the Pacific Theater. Uh, he, gra- he retired from the Navy after 20 years and then worked at Lockheed for 20 years right here at Vandenberg Air Force Base. That's why this part of the world feels like home was my family's from here. I can't wait to tell people about my grandpa. Why? Because if you're some, like some other people I met, there's no glory involved with that story. But for my grandfather, I am like, I am proud to be the grandson of Gilmore Harrison Calderwood. His first name, Gilmore, is my middle name. I'm a William Gilmore. I am so proud of that. Why? Because he attached his life to a worthy cause. He fought for something that history has held up as being honorable to defeat a horrible power like the Third Reich. I am so proud to be his grandson because his life was connected to something that was honorable. Anybody know that feeling? How much more when our lives are attached to the cause of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I'll close with this. If you are under 25, you may not have experienced this magical place. But there's a place that we used to go if you really liked movies. And you could get popcorn, and you could get red vines, and you could rent a DVD. Some of you are like, what's a DVD? Oh, I was told this story one time around my kids, and they're like, did you come to California on a covered wagon? I'm like, pretty much. Sometime between the advent of smoke signals and artificial intelligence, there was a place called Blockbuster. And it was this magical place where you could go and get a movie. And it was a Friday night tradition for our family. We would go in and we would leave with a a disc that had a movie on it. And you would put it in a DVD player. And you would press play, and you would get to watch a movie. And now you, you're going to, I mean, in 15 years, I'm going to be telling this story, and people are like going, wow. You know? Now there's still one blockbuster video in the United States, and it's basically a museum. It's so people like me can take their walker with their tennis balls in the bottom. <laughs> Kids, this is how we used to watch movies. Okay, Grandpa, time for sleep, right? But this was not that long ago. Let me read you a quick story about Netflix and uh, Blockbuster. In 2000, the year 2000, this is 23 years ago, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings paid a visit to Blockbuster's headquarters in Dallas, Texas. He offered John Antioco, then Blockbuster's head, a chance to buy Netflix for a mere $50 million. Whole company, $50 million. Considering Blockbuster's domination of the movie game and rental business... Antioco found the proposal ludicrous. The other blockbuster executives did not understand streaming, 
how the market was changing, how fast the internet and computers were developing. So according to Hastings, he was literally laughed out of the building. By 2010, block, 10 years later, Blockbuster had lost $1.1 billion worth of market share. And Netflix in 2010 was worth $13 billion. Today, there is one Blockbuster. It is a museum. And Netflix is the 49th most valuable company on the planet worth $213 billion. All this happened in 23 years. But I'm telling you, friends, you're going to blink your eyes, your life is going to be over, and you're going to be like, did I invest all my time and talent and treasure into a spiritual blockbuster? My own glory, my own renown, all my own things that I wanted to do with my life, but it's all come to nothing. How great of an investor would you be if you could know the future? Buy Netflix in 2000. Here's the thing that's amazing. If you would have invested $1,000 in Netflix at the time it was valued at $50 million, your $1,000 would be worth $4.26 million right now. You could have made one investment and retired. And all of the people that invested all of their energy into Blockbuster have nothing. Jesus came and showed us the future. What I love about Simeon is he could see the future. Everybody at Simeon's time was worried about what's Herod doing? What are the Romans doing? And he's like, God's sending us a king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is about to arrive on the scene. Everybody's worried about Caiaphas and Annas, the corrupt leaders of the temple. And still here is faithful Simeon showing up in the temple and speaking to people for God. Religious leaders were failing. Political leaders were failing. Business leaders were failing. And rather than align himself with any of those things, Simeon was a futurist. And he invested his life in the things of the kingdom of God and the things that were going to matter and the things that were going to last. Amen. How many know that Jesus has come and shown us the future? And in this new year, don't add a whole bunch of stuff to your life. Maybe just subtract some things and spend a little more time when you're on hold with Jesus. Can we pray? Lord, I pray that you would bless this church today. Let your grace fall upon each one. Lord, if anyone here is far from you, if you're here today and you're far from the Lord and you want to draw close to the Lord, you can come to the Lord, as Pastor John said earlier, with no shame and with no fear. But he stands with open arms and forgiveness and the power and the ability to transform your life. He was delivered to death to pay for our sins. He was raised to life so that the same power that raised Christ from the dead could be involved in our lives today. And even if other people can't recognize it, as you faithfully serve and do the things that God's asking you to do, you're giving jackets to homeless people. You're serving in small ways in your church. You're showing up on Sunday mornings a little early so you can teach some kids the Bible and help them know the stories of Jesus. You are changing the world, friends. Those are small little investments that in the grand scheme of things are investments in the greatest project God has ever begun. God's kingdom coming to earth to make all things right. And those little things that others might ignore are big. They're a big value to God. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to listen to your voice, the ability to invest our lives in what matters most. And Lord, I thank you that we don't need to do heroics. We just need to stop in our busy day and acknowledge, where are you, Lord, and what are you doing? We ask all these things in your name.
Thanks for the privilege of being with your friends. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be lots of places of engagement. I, I shared with the folks in the first service that during worship, I just felt like the Lord instruct me as your friend that during this time of fasting over the next 21 days, I was supposed to make a pointed effort to pray for you to have fresh engagement with the Holy Spirit. Like that was my assignment for you in my care for you. And then Pastor Billy gets up and starts talking about be ready because the Holy Spirit's going to be moving and using you. Um, I also learned that I'm apparently significantly older than Pastor Billy because I remember going to Blockbuster for VHS tapes and that I had to be kind and rewind or I was getting charged again. So, yeah, you young whippersnapper. Guys, keep loving Jesus. You know that he loves you deeply and passionately. If we can pray for you, there are folks here available to my left, your right, who want to care for you in that way. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Look forward to worshiping with you next week, fasting with you this week. Amen.